You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everyone. It is Pierce, host of the PJ's Cast. And if you enjoy listening to the PJ's Cast as much as we do recording it, please leave a positive review, subscribe, and share with friends no matter what platform you may be on. We love discussing the Chicago Blackhawks and, of course, the game of hockey. But we want to reach this out to a wider audience. And doing all those things really help us out. So once again, if you enjoy the PJ's Cast, please leave a positive review, subscribe, and share with friends. And I hope you guys enjoyed the upcoming podcast episode. Welcome everyone to the PJ's cast. I'm your host, Pierce, alongside of my usual co-host, Jimmy and Vinny, but we have a special guest from the Athletic Vancouver, Harmon Dial. How, how's it going, Harmon? Going great. How about you guys? Good. When I was right. when I was going to DM you, um, I put in Harmon, but then it auto-corrected to Batman, so I thought I'd just share that because I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> Usually it gets um it gets uh auto-corrected to Hartman, like Ryan Hartman. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, when Pierce mentioned no, we were having you on the podcast, I was like, wow, I can't believe that I'm finally having a Chicago kid in the podcast. I'm like, oh, okay, well, Vancouver's not too bad. I'll take that. I'll take that. Have you been doing, like, have you been doing through this whole COVID situation? Like, have you been reading any books to stay sane, like, listening to any new podcasts, any new TV shows, any of that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd say a lot of time... Uh, it's probably not the healthiest thing, but a lot of time on uh, Twitter and Reddit, um, just kind of browsing through stuff. I mean, uh, I think in uh, I think in March, um, when the stock market kind of fell, I got interested in interested in that because I remember even as a kid, um, I'm an absolute nerd. Uh, people probably <laughs> don't know this, but um, I do a lot of like analytics when I do um, a lot of my hockey coverage, and so just naturally me being the nerd I am, I kind of, uh, I, I kind of take an interest in finance here and there too. So, uh, I've been spending a lot of time on that. Uh, I've read a couple books. Um, I actually don't watch too many TV shows. I mostly just stick to sports, uh, a little bit of NBA. Um, not a big NFL guy, but I watched the championship game 
the other uh, the other day too. So uh, yeah, just sports uh, and uh, and some finance on the side. Sounds good, man. How how did you get into uh, writing, and how did you get into sports, and how did you like your background in, as a writer and then sports? Yeah, so I was a Canucks fan growing up, and I think I was around 13 or 14 when I started a Twitter account just because I figured I had, um, you know, thoughts and takes on the way the team was going to run, individual players, and I just kind of had opinions that I wanted to get off my chest and share with uh, with the public. And, um, and not long after, I just started blogging, honestly, at... Uh, uh, at a place, uh, at a website locally here that's now called Daily High Vancouver. And so I did that through high school uh, and just kind of slowly and gradually moved, kept moving up the ladder in the blogosphere. And uh, I think it was roughly two years ago now, a little bit more than two years ago, where I pitched uh, The Athletic on a, on a freelance piece and... Um, they accepted it, and so that season, the 2018-19 season, I was a freelancer for them. And then 1920, uh, I was fortunate enough to I had kind of grown to the point where I had enough of a following, and there was an open where I was able to move move to uh, a full time beat reporter. Awesome. Um, I just want to ask you one more question: What's been the biggest difference between being a Canucks fan and a Canucks reporter? It's it's definitely very different. I think I've heard a lot of the same experience where when you start covering the team and your it's your job and your profession now it kind of kills the fan in you yeah uh, so like right now for instance you know as a fan you go through the highs and lows right like if you're in vancouver they obviously had the bubble playoff run and then so that's that's a high uh and then obviously with the start of, to the season that they've had now there's that low, right? So you kind of have that those emotional spike. And working in media now, though, like you just don't feel them. Like honestly, you just don't. Obviously, you want the team to do well because you're serving your you're serving Canucks fans, and you want want your audience to be happy. You want the best for them. But uh, aside from that, uh, I don't know. You just kind of become numb to the results, and you kind of lose that fandom. But in a way. Um, it sounds it sounds sad, but obviously working in hockey has been such a dream of mine that um, that that kind of trade off I'd make it ten times out of ten. That's interesting. No, I think that um, yeah, you mentioned it sounds. I think to a lot of fans, it sounds sad because it's just such in it's such a an un um, fans can experience diehard fans. They don't understand that very well, but I think like you said, it's you know, you, you get to experience hockey regardless. I mean, you get to be closer to the team and whatnot. And that's, you know, a great experience, um, you know, regardless. Um, and, and with you being a reporter, I, w- I was curious to ask this. Um, how does it feel being such a, a – uh, working with the athletic at a young age? Do you feel any kind of pressure or is it, you know, is it exciting? Do you feel and be a bit honored to be in that position? Yeah, it's definitely exciting. I for sure feel honored. And, um, I, I think the biggest thing is just, again, the experience of working in hockey, you may lose the individual fandom for a particular team, but, uh, you never lose the passion of just the sport itself. And, 
Um, I I never take for granted the fact that I do get to cover cover this team and this sport for for a living. And that's the thing about working in hockey is there's never uh, a dull moment. I mean, maybe less so now that um, we're obviously in the COVID era and there's less access and you're not traveling and things like that. But in normal times, I mean, obviously this isn't your standard nine to five job and just the vast array of experiences you go through, uh, the people you meet, the the connections uh, you make, and just being able to be that close to the industry and just to be able to cover it all um, and, and be able to write about it and, and have people who uh, want to read your work. It's, it, it really, it's really humbling to me. And uh, again, I, I wake up every day, uh, feeling blessed to have this chance. Honestly, like this is something that in high school, I, I again, just dreamed of being able to work in hockey one day and, um, to have that opportunity now, I'm, I'm really grateful that the athletic, uh, took a chance on me. What's it like been uh, working with someone like Thomas Drensk since you guys are both uh, beat writers for the Vancouver Canucks on The Athletic? He's awesome. He's literally the best. Uh, it's um, we. Sh- it's funny because we have he shares. He and I share probably when it comes to our outlook on the team, specific players, what we like to see tactically, uh, moves the team makes. Like our takes are probably 95 to 99% aligned. Like we see the game the exact same way. And so that makes it so that we're able to mesh well and write together and collaborate so easily. Uh, and so there's that aspect. And then, and then Tom's just such a great guy. I mean, he's got a decade of experience in the industry. He previously worked uh, for the Florida Panthers uh, in a V in a VP role. So he's got, uh, he's got, those sorts of reps uh, behind the curtain. He knows what it's like uh, as both a journalist and, and working on the PR side as well. So um, I've learned so much from him. He's legitimately one of the um, most intelligent, hardworking beat reporters I've ever met. And to be able to work wow. alongside him, he's been able to give so much guidance. And, and again, just being able to work alongside a seasoned vet like that, who, um, again, has the almost the exact same way of viewing the game. It, it almost feels like we're a perfect complement for each other. So I really couldn't have asked for uh, a better person to, uh, to tackle the Canucks beat with. Have you ever had like a major disagreement over something like if you're writing an article? Honestly, I can't think of one off the top of my head right now. I think... Um, you know, there are probably slight things here and there that um, we disagree with. That uh, That's obviously inevitable. But like I said before, when it comes to the macro big picture stuff, um, it's it, we're, we're pretty similar. I mean, I guess the one difference may be when the Canucks um, in advance of unrestricted free agency were looking at a potential Oliver Ekman Larson trade, I think. Uh, Drance was a little bit higher on what uh, Ekman Larson was at this stage of his career, whereas I thought he was more um, of a number, number say, two, three defenseman, and, and Drance mm-hmm. thought he still a top-pairing caliber D, and I was a bit more hesitant on in terms of I didn't think the Canucks should pursue him. But, um, I mean, again, those are 
pretty slight differences. And um, again, for the most part, we uh, have pretty similar philosophies on, on how we think teams should be run, how, uh, what kinds of decisions and, um, and again, strategies uh, a front office should be implementing. Alrighty, so I'm going to give the floor to my friend Vinny, who's actually also from Vancouver. So uh, the floor is all yours, Vinny. Yeah, hey, Harmon. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm from Vancouver myself. I still live here. Uh, I'm actually going to BCIT and taking a broadcasting course. And um, my question for you is, I can imagine as um, going from being a fan like yourself, like you said you were uh, as a younger kid, to, to a writer now, one of the biggest things, would have to be you know hiding your hiding your bias in your pieces so i'm just curious um how hard is it or how hard was it for you you at the start to um hide that fan bias if you know what i mean yeah i I think it's just something that you've got to be cognizant of and um there's a saying that you know i mean i'm probably butchering this but being able to understand that there is a bias or that there is a problem is almost 80% of tackling it. And so I think once you become cognizant of your bias and you're able to recognize that your perspective on certain situations might be influenced by uh, different emotions, it can kind of, it's just a reminder. You you can kind of check yourself in terms of how objective you are. Uh, And for me though, I think it's helped that I've always tried to take an analytical approach to the game as far as, I'm a big believer in looking at underlying numbers. Um, I love to break down video. Uh, and so I guess that sort of combination of things, I, I, I try and stray away from surface level observations. And I think when you dig deeper and really, again, just look to analyze the game as objectively as possible, that's when it's easier just to be able to maintain that perspective uh, in your writing. And and even when, when certain situations come up over the course of a season, um, mm-hmm. like I look to, uh, I think one of the earliest examples was the 2014, 15 season, the first one under Jim Benning, where the team was off to a really good start uh, to begin the, the year and I remember writing a piece at the time. I think a lot of fans at the time were kind of caught up with the idea of, okay, this is one last attempt for the team to kind of contend with the Sedins. Um, and I remember writing an article at the time that got a, a fair amount of criticism for being negative. But I essentially analyzed the roster situation and I said, you know, this team might make the playoffs here, but they're not good enough to be a cup contender. If they're And if they're not good enough to be a cup contender they should just rebuild, right? Like I was harping yeah. on the fact that they should rebuild. And so that's one of those uh, scenarios where I think I did a good job of just being able to objectively assess the roster as opposed to getting caught up in the wins and losses and looking at Vancouver being first in the division uh, for for that start of the season. So I think it's just stuff like that. You've just got to look at, um, dissect where the team is at, where individual players are at as honestly as possible. That's really interesting you bring that up because, uh, and I'm talking about analytics, because when it comes to analytics, you really get face value. Like, you you know, like, like the team is what it is when you know, um, like, like when you dive into analytics, you know, if the team is, if the, te- if the analytics, uh, if the team's analytics are bad, then you'll know right away, like, 
okay, this team is bad. Like, and if they're good, you know, they're good. So, um, I guess that's, yeah, that would be a good way of just helping you, um, hide bias, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, if you, you know, look at a couple of other storylines recently, um, Brock Besser, uh, oh, the conversation in the off season was, you know, Besser doesn't look the same. What's up with a shot? Uh, is he ever going to be, you know, I think a lot of fans soured on him, uh, quite honestly. And yeah. I remember again, looking at the underlying numbers and looking at the fact that, okay, his shooting percentage in his rookie season was inflated. So he's, Maybe not that caliber of a player, but you look at mm. uh, his 2019-20 regular season and his goal totals were suppressed, yes. But he shot under 10% for the first time in his career, and he's a yeah. much better career shooter than that. So I was just able to look at that, and um, Drance and I were able to analyze that situation and not get caught up, obviously, in the emotions of the recency bias and say, you know what, he's going to bounce back. Like, it's inevitable that he's going to bounce back, and... Um, he's going to regress positively, and and so far to this point in the season, that's uh, that's what happened. Uh, that's what's uh, happened. I think he's up to four goals in the season now, maybe three. I think four though. Um, and yeah, I think it's four. Four goals, two assists. Help you. Yeah, no, that's like like you said. Um, as soon as you uh, like you see you see his analytical trend, and you know. Uh, you could probably, like you said, you could expect him to to have a bit of a, a drop off. And when people panic, you say, I mean, you sit there and and you look at those analytics, and you know, like you probably could have uh, uh, perhaps expected something like that to happen, right? So mm-hmm. that makes sense. So uh, Harmon, I wanted to ask you. Um, we've uh, talked about the Canucks here, of course. So I wouldn't. I don't think anyone would say that this was a cup or bust season, but definitely. Um, high expectations for the team with how they uh, played in the playoffs, getting Vegas to a game seven, even if a lot of that was from Patrick Demko. Uh, but of course, a very disappointing start to the season, the lowest goal differential in the league thus far. What do you think, what would you chalk this up to? Um, Braden Holtby definitely hasn't been as good as many expected or wanted him to be. But of course, you know, goaltending isn't everything and there's a lot more going on. So what do you, you know, speaking of analytics, what do you really chalk this up to? Yeah, there's a ton going on here, and um, as you alluded to, this goes far beyond goaltending. The Canucks' um, playing goal, Demko and Hopi, uh, haven't been great, but they've been fine, honestly. Like, that, they're probably, they're not the problem right now, to be quite honest. Yeah. And I think when you look at the start to the season, the biggest shock, and I don't think anyone would have predicted this um, coming into this year, was how much the top players have struggled to begin uh, the season. Elias Pettersson just scored his first goal of the season the other night against Montreal, but it's not the lack of production that's that's hurting the team right now. It's the fact that he's not even driving play and and that that he's not even creating enough chances. Uh, The underlying logic of this team is that they need their top players to dominate for them to win hockey games because this is a top-heavy team. They don't have a lot of depth. Uh, Their bottom Mm -hmm. six doesn't control play. Uh, They get outscored by pretty significant margins. So you're really reliant on your best players to carry a heavy load. And when a player like Pedersen is not only not producing, but he's also getting caved 
and he's playing so much with all the puck and he's struggling defensively and he's making turnovers. Like there are a lot of issues that kind of uh, derive from that. And outside of, uh, of the top players there, I think just as a whole, the team's defensive performance, and this is the biggest, I think, long-term concern because you expect Pedersen at some point, he'll probably figure things out. The issue that I see right now is in the team's defensive form. You look at their 5-on-5 or even their all-situations profile um, and whether it's shots, whether it's scoring chances, whether it's actual or expected goals against, the Canucks are the most permissive defense in the NHL. They're just leaking odd man rush, breakaways one after the other. And there are just so many unforced errors. It's it's truly baffling. I'm not sure I've ever seen a team this dysfunctional with their passing. And again, a lot of it comes down to their top players. Uh, Pedersen has had a giveaway or two that's that's ended up in the back of the net. Quinn Hughes has ended up uh, has had giveaways that have led to the back of the net, and he struggled offensively. J.T. Miller's had one. Uh, Nate Schmidt uh, flubbed uh, flubbed a pass against Montreal that ended up in the back of the net. Tyler Myers. I mean, this is a team that again the depth isn't there. So when your top players aren't stepping up to the occasion the bottom just kind of falls out of this team. And again, we're only seven games into the season. So um, I'm trying not to make any sweeping conclusions here, but there are a lot of problems with this team right now. It's not just that it's not just the standings implications of being two, five and oh, it's how broken they've looked in the process. Because if you're looking to turn things around, uh, if you're Travis Green behind the bench, it's sometimes difficult to go from like if there's a scale from one to ten uh, where one represents your your worst performance and ten is your peak sort of level. The Canucks have been in terms of how they've looked a two, right? And so sometimes mm-hmm. to start winning games, obviously to get to your peak, you want to be at a seven, an eight, and nine. But to turn things around, you know. You can't go from a two to an eight in a matter of just a game or two. And the problem the Canucks have right now is you've got a truncated 56-game schedule. They don't have a lot of time to turn things around. And so sometimes what happens is, let's say the Canucks do start turning a corner and they start playing better. Well, you know, against Ottawa, for instance, they might play on that same scale. They might have a couple games where there are four, there are five, there are six before they really start to play at their peak again. So... The point I'm trying to make here is it's going to take a pretty monumental effort for them to dig themselves uh, out of this hole. I have faith in the top players, though they're obviously going to figure things out, but um, they just don't they just don't have a lot of time. The margin of error is already very slim. So you, you touched on you touched on the depth and everyone knows they lost, you know, a good top six forward into Foley. A good bottom six guy in Levo. You know, Markstrom was a top 10 goalie last year. You lose him. You lose Tanev on the back end. And then you lose Stetcher, who actually, um, from what I watched last season, he looked like a nice depth piece on defense too. Um, Now, with all that being said, are you worried about this team going forward? Or are you confident they can bounce back? Well, if this was an 82-game season... I think I'd have more faith in, in the team's ability. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, there are kind of a few few issues at play here. I mean, the top players, want, you know, these guys are going to figure it out. Pedersen and Hughes 
our our elite franchise cornerstone type pieces. I'm not necessarily worried about them in the grand scheme of things. But uh, this is you talk about a two five and zero start. It's the equivalent of going three seven and zero. Um, yeah, proportionally speaking, sure. in the two game season. Um, and you look at Don, uh, Don Lushishin's model at the Athletic, the Canucks are already down to 17% playoff odds. Like, they're going to need to not only be good, but they're going to need to play at a better than 100-point pace to uh, to make the playoffs. And um, you look at some of the back-end injuries that they've got, that, that they've sustained, too. Um, they're, they're a team that you mentioned losing depth pieces like Stetcher, like Fantenberg, um, they obviously signed Travis Hamannick and, and he's on the shelf right now. Edler looks banged up. He missed, uh, he's, um, he's been, um, he, he left, uh, he left the game a couple day, a couple nights ago, obviously came back last game. But the point is that back end is, is shallow too. And, um, mm-hmm. up front, you, you already know that the bottom six, um, can't really control play all that well. So I think for the Canucks to bump the slump. They need their top players to as quickly as possible regain top form. And um, as as a team, as a five man unit, when they're on the ice, they need to be a lot tighter defensively. Is um, is what I think are the keys to Vancouver potentially bouncing back. I think a big topic for the Canucks right now is that, like we've brought up many times, is their depth and. They've done a masterful job of drafting. They drafted Elias Pettersson, fifth overall. Then you draft Quinn Hughes, seventh overall in 2018. And they've done a great job of like picking someone up like Nils Hoglander in the second round in 2019. And they've, they're on the roster. They have these cheap contracts. But then you look at the rest of the roster. You got guys like Louis Erickson that's making $6 million. And you got Jay Beagle and Antoine Rousseau making $3 million for another couple of years. And then you look at your defense. You got Tyler Myers make, making $6 million for, for another four years. And Nate Schmidt, even though he's a really good player now, he's going to be making $6 million for the next five years. So I'm just wondering how they're going to deal with... Uh, Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson's contracts coming up because you got all these depth players making a lot of money. And I'm just wondering if they're going to be able to potentially move those pieces. And if they do, will they have to give up maybe like a sweetener, like one of their prospects in the system to get rid of them? Yeah, that's the elephant in the room. It has been for a long time as Vancouver's cap situation. I think even this off season, it presented a massive opportunity cost where um, the Canucks right now, if you even exclude Myers, they have, uh, just over $20 million tied up to players that are providing marginal value. And that includes someone like Sven, Ber- Sven Berchi too. So right now, the roster, as you mentioned, is kind of imbalanced where you've got even guys like Miller and Besser and Horvat are on contracts that provide significant surplus value. So your top players are very cheap right now. But the bottom end of your roster, as as you mentioned, are, are very expensive, are on onerous deals. So I think if you look ahead to the offseason, I don't think signing Hughes and Pedersen is is necessarily the issue. The Canucks have money coming off the books. They have um, Sutter coming off. They have uh, Ben coming off. They have um, Pearson and, and Edler's contractual obligations are up this offseason too. So being able to sign Pedersen and Hughes... Um, you may not have the flexibility to sign them to long-term extensions, but uh, if you want to ink them to bridge bridge deals, that shouldn't be too much of a problem. It's how are you going to insulate them with enough depth to be an upper echelon team? And that's where I think you have to almost look at 
the 2022-23 season is is when all the bottom six contracts are up. That's when Louis's gone. That's when Beagle's gone. That Roussel's gone. Uh, and it's uh, it's unfortunate because you, you're already feeling the ramifications of that this season, where the team wasn't able to upgrade their depth. If they have a little bit more flexibility, they're able to bring talent fully back. They're able to keep a Jacob Markstrom or a Chris Tanev in addition to the in, 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 in addition to being able to acquire someone like Nate Schmidt and you're all of a sudden a lot more confident in your back end so it's just um you look at the roster and that's been that's been the biggest talking point in the market for a long time is can this management group create a good enough supporting cast around the elite core that they've assembled uh, and right now, the outlook for the short term is pretty bleak. All right. So no matter what, Vancouver just always seems to be this fascinating team, even going back to like 2011, 2012, where they had that goaltending controversy with Luongo and Schneider. And it just seems like every year there's something going on with them. And it's it's never a dull moment in Vancouver, I must say. And it's they're definitely a team to watch for and how they're going to handle the Hughes and Patterson and if they might be able to you know, maybe get rid of one of their depth contracts. I'm not sure, but uh, thank you, Harmon, for coming on and uh, giving us a bit of, like, uh, making the situation a bit more clear in Vancouver because we were kind of confused. But um, uh, before we go, we just want to ask you a couple of uh, lightning round questions, just like what's your favorite movie and all that stuff. So, yeah, definitely the most important part. So uh, what is your favorite uh, TV show of all time or one of your TV series of all time? The Office. I love The Office. Yes, sir. Can't go wrong with that. Um, uh, what's your favorite uh, movie of all time? Or some of your favorite movies of all time? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, probably, um, what's that Jonah Hill movie? Uh, Superbad. Superbad, yes, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's a classic. Love probably my, when I was in high school, that was absolutely my favorite. Like, by far, that was the movie I told everybody to watch. If I knew, I'm like, listen, if there's a movie you want to watch, it's that movie. Yeah. Perfect high school movie. What's there, what are some of your favorite uh, bands and albums of all time or artists, musical artists? Okay, this one's going to be controversial. Um, mm-hmm. It gets a lot. And, 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 I, and I get it because it's mainstream stuff that does pop off is yeah. like it is shallow. Um, my my favorite album album is probably These Things Happen by G-Eazy. Um, it's uh, I, again, if you look at the songs that chart on the top 40, people listen to those and their surface level. They're honestly not very good. His, his songs that have actually, you know, get get on the radio and get played in clubs and stuff. So I get why he has a negative rep in the hip hop mm-hmm. community. But uh, if you look at that 2014 album, um, he raps about a lot more than just um, than just partying and, and girls and, and that kind of stuff. So. Um, I'll go with uh, these things happen, and, and other than that, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just a hip hop head in general. Um, mm-hmm. I like YG, um, Big Sean, um, kind of guys like that. Was it already? Yeah, there was a uh, Big Sean. It was fantastic. Oh my god, I can't remember it. If, I don't know if you know that album. It's uh, a blue, blue and pink album cover. That was probably like one of my favorite uh, hip hop albums of all time. I love that one. Absolutely. All right, and the most important question of all, does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes. All right. Personally, 
not for us, but like pizza's pizza. If it's the only option there, I'll obviously eat it and I won't complain. That's my it's take all, for it. I'm like the pickiest eater in general, but I just don't mind for whatever reason. For whatever reason, uh, pineapple on uh, on pizza. I mean, I, I'm not gonna sit here and say that uh, that Hawaiian is my favorite kind of pizza because it's really not. Um, I much prefer like a solid. Um, I don't know, like a barbecue chicken type pizza yep. or anything. Oh, yep. like, yeah. um, oh, yeah. That's way higher on the list than like a ham and pineapple. But um, if there's pizza with pineapple on it, like I'm not going to complain at all. So Yeah, pizza's pizza. That's what I say. Chicago, I mean, it's not like a Chicago uh, specific thing. I don't know if you guys have either been to, there's like a places where you can literally just ask them to put anything on a pizza. Like they have a million ingredients. Ask them to get like chicken wings, like slice up chicken wings and put them in a pizza with whatever sauce you want. It's the most amazing oh. thing ever. So if you haven't done that, like please go do that. It's the best thing ever. Alrighty. So thank you, Harmon, for coming on. It was great hearing your insight on the Canucks because they're again they're always a fascinating team and uh, have fun watching the ga- the only game tonight against uh, Ottawa. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, have a good one, man. All right, so that was Harmon Dial of The Athletic, and uh, we're back. We're mm-hmm. just going to talk about some stuff that's happened in the NHL. Jimmy's eating uh, biscuits, so yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Let's start off with the Liney Dubois trade. Who do you think won that trade? To be honest, um, not just because it gives them center depth right now, but uh, in the future, when you think about the fact that they got uh, Cole Perfetti coming, oh, you, yeah. got, uh, you got, you got uh, Shifley, Dubois, Perfetti. I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. So well, and you can put Perfetti on the wing whenever you'd like. To yeah, as well. if they want. Yeah, exactly. But Dude, the fact Perfetti that, alongside Shifley but, or Dubois yeah. is disgusting. But I mean, if they really want to keep him at center, then mm-hmm. they can just they can let him play three C like like the Hawks did with Doc in his first year, yeah. just to let him I mean, to let him uh, get used to it, right? And honestly, yeah, you could you can break in Perfetti as soon as Dubois' contract comes up, or mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it comes up, you know. When does the contract come up? Uh, he sent it two years, so this year, next yeah. year. I, I have a feeling Perfetti is going to be ready by then. I mean, he's yeah. that kind of a player. So. Probably, yeah. He's one of those guys, I think, that even it was even, uh, you know, talked about in terms of being possibly even ready this year. So, yeah, yeah you have that kind of flexibility. Um, you know, you can let go of Dubois by then. Maybe Perfetti even comes in and is that good, or he's that good next year that you can move Dubois. Yeah, there's so much flexibility that mm-hmm. they, they can do that. You just got so probably options. one of the best young centers in the entire NHL. So mm-hmm. and he's like, yeah, he's 22. He's already he already has one C capabilities. Like, mm-hmm. and listen, I, I understand that Line A is a dynamic talent. I do. I understand that, but he hasn't proven that he can play in both ends of the ice the right way. Dubois isn't stellar in his own end. And he's I not. just he's I good can, enough. I cannot see Line A fitting in in Columbus. No. Did you? All. I guess you guys saw the uh, the article about Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley, and uh, Patrick Laine.
and uh, that whole fiasco, possible oh, fiasco. I, rumor. I briefly saw that. But... Did you didn't see that? Uh, I did see it, yeah. Yeah, so what do you guys think about that? Because there there was a quote from Bruce, Bruce Gariotch, I don't know how you say his name, um, and he it was Wheeler saying, I wish I had handled my relationship with Patrick Line better. I fell for that. It's taken very out of context, so that's not part of this entire conversation. It was a very detailed answer, and he just took that right out of context and kind of lit the flames with that whole thing. Um, but it does seem like it's – I mean, I'm sure it's the Finnish media. You know, Line yeah. is the wonder child there. I doubt that they're – I doubt that they're not exaggerating that at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, I don't think Blake Wheeler gives a flying shit about yeah. Line being compared to Solani. I don't think he cares one bit. Yeah. Um, but the idea of Line taking Wheeler's spot and threatening that, I mean, that seems a bit realistic. What do you guys think about this? I don't know, because I know Line really wanted to play with someone like Mark Shifley, and they've never really had that like stellar second-line center. And I remember that run they went on a couple of years ago back in 2018. They had Paul Stastny as their second-line center, and obviously they got him back, but you know he's nowhere at the level he was two years ago, so they've never really had that dynamic second-line center. Obviously, you might have had it coming on the way with someone like Cole Perfetti, like we brought up, but they yeah, Winnipeg. But Winnipeg... I don't This is such a weird trade to me. I don't know why. Obviously, both Line and Dubois wanted out. Um, Dubois, like that whole thing where he played like three minutes in one period, and then I think he sat like the rest of the game. It's just like they left, like, and they like left with such like a sour taste mm. because, you know, of like what they did. And it's Line with Line, it's weird because he, I think he had the overtime goal um, before he got traded. Like, that was his last goal. And, you know, his first year coming in the league, there was a lot of hype around him. And he was, I think, second in the Calder voting behind uh, Austin Matthews and then scored 44 goals. And then he had like a down season where he scored like, I think, 30 goals and 50 points. And he came back last year and had a decent year. Um, I love that. A down season when he had 30 goals. Yeah, exactly. That's the elite goal scorer's life for you. Yeah, but that's the thing about Patrick Laine. He's just oozing with talent right now and i think pierre luc dubois is the better player now maybe but you know there's so much potential with patrick line last year he diversified his game a bit more like obviously he's a sni- like goal scoring is always going to be his number one uh trick up his sleeve but you know he improved on his playmaking he proved somewhat on his two-way game i mean that's going to be tough to do but you know this shows it shows that he's willing to learn and you know, there's going to be this thing, oh, yeah, uh, John Tortorella is not going to get along with uh, Patrick Laine because he's a skilled guy. But you look at John Tortorella, obviously there's been some problems in the past, but he still worked with guys like Martin St-Louis, Vinny LeCavalier, and then you look at as of recent, Artemi Panarin. Yeah, so you literally can see Literally an MVP caliber player. So you can, so you can see, like, these yeah. kind of players, you can work with Tortorella. It's not like he's just against yeah, all I these just... skilled players. So I, I think personally, Line could fit in with a Columbus, uh, and if he does, like that could be really beneficial to them. They could have a long term superstar. Obviously, they lost Panarin. I don't think Line is a skills Panarin, but not a lot of people are. But uh, having that dynamic goal scorer there, I think that could help them. And the, yeah. it's a weird trade because I don't know who won the trade. Like uh, I don't know if any of these players are going to be. 
I don't, I don't even know if any of these players are going to be in like their respective cities. Like, I don't know if Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to stay in Winnipeg I unless they go like on yeah. a deep playoff run. I don't know if uh, Patrick Lane is going to stay in Columbus. You know who I think the big winner in the street is? Jack Roslevic. Jack Roslevic is yet the most, like, I could see him being in Columbus for a while, for sure. Yeah, he's from there, Perfect. and he sure. wanted out of Winnipeg, so. Yeah, he's from Columbus? Yeah, he's from. Yeah, Columbus, he is. Pretty he's, sure. from, so, he's from Ohio. I think he's the big winner for the trade, but I'm, I'm, I. It's this is gonna be this is an interesting trade. It's it's a definitely a fascinating one. Like it's we rarely do we see these like high profile pick, players like Patrick Le- Line went second overall, Pierre Luc Dubois went third overall, both in the same draft. I love, I love that Winnipeg is maybe the wrong pick, basically. It's fantastic. It's just I don't I don't know how this is going to work out, man. It's it's going to be. Just, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe I think. I think if they put line A with Domi, who's a good playmaker, I think that could work out. That could work out, but I just I can't see line A fitting in in that system. But I mean, I don't know. Like we'll see. I, I mean, there's look, potential with Domi, I think, because Domi will feed him the puck. Domi played. Yeah. Sorry. He's their, he's their first line center right now. I haven't. Is he be on the score sheet at all? Because I have not heard his name. Uh, I don't know exactly, but I know he has been playing first line center. Gotcha. So. Jesus, you know, watch the you know, watch their games then. Uh, I guess that's what that means. But maybe the, they're playing well. For, they're playing really well right now. Oh, maybe the good yeah. thing with Line is that he's the guy in Columbus. Like, like in Winnipeg, you got guys like Shifley, Wheeler, Connor, yeah. and now, but even like Hellebuck. But like now, he's the guy in Columbus. You oh, can David. be the guy. Connor Hellebuck taking away Line's spot. You just yeah. hate to yeah. see. Him. <laughs> But like they have a lot of good players on that team. That's like Liney. He kind of mm-hmm. gets forgotten about. Like Columbus, yeah. Maybe, guys, so maybe that's good for him. Yeah, we talked about right away. You know, I say us. You know, just hockey fans in general. When Winnipeg, I forget how far they moved up. When they moved up to that number two spot, it was like the first they thing we were talking about. Was, Holy sure. shit! Winnipeg has another sniper, another offensive talent. Next team um, is Saloni. Yeah, the next team was the next Ovechkin is the one I kept hearing. Um, yeah. And yeah, you, they already had Ehlers, they had Connor, they had Wheeler. yeah. That's another guy I didn't bring up. They just have an absurd Nikolai Ehlers, who is better than Patrick Laine and Kyle Connor, but we don't talk about that. Um, Ehlers is so good. Transition, just filthy. I love that guy. Um, but the big thing is, I look at it um, in the sense that we we talked about Artemi Panarin. I I really think that. Artemi Panarin didn't need to be a gritty, you know, go in the corners and fight for the puck guy for Tortorella. Like, he didn't need to be that. He fit into the system, you know, and I, I know, Vinny, you talked about him not fitting into that system, and I understand that, but I don't think that he needs to be what every other player is in that system. He doesn't need to be with Jack Ross. Jack Ross looks going to be a guy who's going to be just, like, Hinnestros yeah, are just on his feet, energy, going to the corners, you know, battling guys. Line can be, and like Pierce, he can be the guy. He can yeah. finally yeah. be the guy. And Obviously. I, yeah, and I wonder if, you know, we've, you know, th- there was that article. And again, I really think that was, if there was anything there, it's definitely blown out of proportion. I do think, though, that whether Euler's or whether Blake Wheeler is a, a, an asshole or not, which I just don't really see. Um, yeah. Blake Wheeler. He's one of the few guys that speaks out against yeah. Donald Trump. So I mean, I can't see him as one of those guys, to be honest. Like, like I've heard, I've heard, I've heard nothing. I've like, I've heard nothing bad about Blake Wheeler. Like, I've heard only good things about him. So I don't well, know. The way he was talking about his relationship with Lenny in the full quote that Gary Oates took out of uh, context, he was saying how he he's 
tries to be supportive of the young players. And he says, if I ever got frustrated, that's kind of my way of motivating them. But he says, I maybe I feel bad if I ever, you know, like pushed him the wrong way, you know. So clearly he was a guy who's, you know, um, open to being open about, you know, his mistakes and what he sees as his flaws in terms of uh, communication and whatnot. So I don't see that being true. What I do see being true, again, is that Line was never going to be that guy. He was never going to get that spot with Shifley. Unless they got a second line center, he was never going to have a guy who can really play on his level. Domi isn't, you know, an elite talent, but he's a very good talent. He's a guy who can play with Line at least. He's one of the better playmakers in the NHL, and he will be able to get him the puck. I would love to see Dylan Strong with Patrick Line. That would be a fantastic Mm, thing. Yeah. One of the the most pure playmakers in the NHL with one of the most pure snipers. I mean, come on. Hey, that would be bad. Yeah. Big bodies, too. Former Patrick Line, future Blackhawk. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I... Should we trade, uh, trade uh, P.S. Suter's uh, trade value, then trade him for Patrick Line? Okay, Line. That's crazy. You want to get into that now? The Blackhawks' last two games? Uh, yeah. I guess to close it off, though, I just have to say, I think Winnipeg won. Yeah. I think I think both teams win. Honestly, I was saying I think Winnipeg won completely, but you know what? I, I think both teams win. So, I think... Yeah. Winnipeg wins now because, yes. like, you look at their one-two punch at center. Obviously, Shifley and Dubois is disgusting. Yeah. It's the winners they have. <clears throat> that could be a potential Ehlers, Stastny, Dubois second line, which is just nasty. And but Line could be very well could be the best player of that trade. So you know what? It's it's nice to see a trade like this because we really mm-hmm. don't see like these yeah. kind of talents being swapped around. And you know what? I'm it's going to be interesting to watch. You know, it's kind of cool that we don't see that there's like an instant winner. You know, it's going to yeah. take a little bit to watch. So I'm I just, most trades, especially when they're young, you see it after. Oh, sorry, Vinny, go ahead. I know. I was just going to say, I, I just like it for Winnipeg because it gives them so many options right now to yeah. an already stacked forward core, and it gives them so many options up the middle in the future. Yeah, now, kind of, I think, kind of, I think, uh, oh, sorry again. No, sorry. No, I'll just, I'll just finish by saying, um, I think Line A succeeds if they put him with uh, Domi. Sure. And the thing is with that North Division, like Winnipeg can make a run this year. It's so volatile. All you need is a good goalie, and if you have a decent enough forward core and a competent defense, like they could go for a run this year, Winnipeg. Like it's not out of the question that they do. So yeah. I like yeah. that. To, to, to your point, Vernie, I like that you take Line A, who's a winger, who they have so many of. Again, the most plentiful uh, piece in the entire league. And you yeah. sort of switch that to center. Yeah. You take that, you make it a center. And that's everything Winnipeg needs and they've needed for a while. They're like the Blackhawks, aren't they? Yeah. And they're probably, they just didn't have that second line center, except this is like if the Blackhawks got a, a Kevin Hayes 2.0 in 2015. Yeah. They, well, except they don't have a Duncan Keith, that's a whole conversation. But yeah. that's a whole conversation for a different time. So, Pierce, as you said, to the Blackhawks. Yeah, we're speaking of elite teams. On to the Blackhawks, who have now won their last two. Um, thoughts on thoughts? Sorry, thoughts on it. What are your guys' thoughts on those games? Because um, obviously we had a rough start, losing to Tampa Bay 5-1. Then we lost 5-2. And then we came into Florida. I can't remember what the first game was, but then we lost in like overtime. Like It seems like each game we're getting better and better, which is a good sign. Obviously, it's going to be a tough year, and it's nice to get a couple wins, but I still expect us to fully miss the playoffs. But you never know, man. Like yep. We're getting better and better each game. Kevin Lankinen seems to be the guy. A lot of our young guys are really fitting in. Like Obviously, P.S. Suter got the hat trick. Kershaw got a goal. 
and even though he hasn't gotten a goal yet, someone that's really noticed is Brandon Hankel. I saw him a couple times on the back check and like going in and chasing pucks and and it's just it just seems like there's a lot more like this team is a lot more in its groove right now and you know, you never know. Like Nashville, they've lost a couple games to Dallas. Maybe they can catch them and pick up a couple wins there because they do have yeah. a uh, uh, two games against them. So I don't know. Maybe this season might not be as bad as we thought it would be. Obviously, yeah. starting off against Tampa is is rough, and you know, but they've they've seemingly found their goalie. I think Lincoln has been really good, and they've yeah. kind of found a group. Um, I, it was nice to see um, you know, Kurashev and Suter, the and just the rookies stepping up. Um, yeah um and and then yeah like Lankinen's played pretty good in every game right even even when he came in against Florida for that first first game he looked good like none of those goals were really his fault you know and he he made the saves he needed to um but I mean when it comes to you know it's great the Hawks have they look they look a lot better but you got to take it for what it is I mean Detroit Detroit is bad like it's I think it was, the, like they're really bad. So that was pretty Mickey Mouse. Maybe maybe it is the start of something. Um, you know, maybe they can get on a roll. I mean, you're playing, you're playing the same team. So if you can get hot, and then you know, um, if you can get hot and start beating those teams, you know, you get their number, and you know, you play a team eight times. If you can get hot against a team, just keep beating them, right? Dude, it's yeah. a shortened season. Like injuries yeah. can happen if like a yeah. team falls out, like it's like a huge injury to someone. Like that could open up a spot for Chicago. I'm not by any means saying that Chicago yeah. doesn't make the playoffs, but like, like you never know, man. This is such a volatile like style it's, season. It's nice to see him. Nice to see him do that. But um, uh, hopefully, I just I want I I don't know. It's kind of like a wait and see. You know, I, I want to see what they did against Detroit. I want to see that continue against. You know, wait, who we play next? Nashville, and that's going to be the big one because obviously want, Detroit's not that great of a team, but Nashville but, is a team that's going to be fighting in there. If we so, can maintain yeah. that kind of play against Nashville, then things are looking good, and that's so going to be see, the big test. Let's see how they do against Nashville, right? Let's see how they – like if they go – if they fall back in a downward trend, then, I mean, you know, you can look back and say, well, it was just Detroit, but let's still see if they can uh, continue this little roll they're on. I like to test my team's ability against uh, – Another one coached by John Hines for sure. <laughs> I always forget. It. I always forget he's there. Right? That's so weird. Mm-hmm. I know yeah. a lot of Preds fans, and it it amazes did they play, me. Didn't they play Roman Yossi on the wing last year? Was that like a joke? yeah? They did. <laughs> they nearly did. Changed yeah, it to game did. time. I'm pretty sure, but he was going to. He uh, was absolutely going to. It's it's like third wrong. line or something. Second line winger, Roman Yeah, Yossi. yes. I think it was. Second line, it's not that bad. He was, hey, he was playing about, in the second what line. About second line. What about winger Rob Scuderi? Can't forget that. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Joe Quinnville, man, listen, I I give Colton this. You know, people say, oh, putting in John Quinville in this game. And, yeah, that's ridiculous. It is. We don't talk enough about Joe Quinville putting in Rob <laughs> fucking Scuderi as a fourth line left wing. That we don't is talk some about of the biggest brain move. Trevor Daly for Rob Scuderi, and then we flipped Rob Scuderi for Christian Erhoff, and then yeah. And Trevor, yeah. Not that Trevor yeah. Daly is the savior, but man, he uh, he did he did that, that uh, Stanley Cup winning thing a couple of times in a row after that, so that was a uh, that one stung a little bit for sure. Yeah. We trade Michael Company, and then he's got a cup, and then we trade uh, Jan Ruda, and now he's got a cup. It's just like no, man, we're, 
I think the Hawks are just really, you know, they're just a really giving team. I think people need to get off their backs. Yeah, we, yeah we, we, we're, we're trying to be nice. We won all those Cubs all but, those years ago. We're just trying to give back, you know? We win Cups, and now we help teams win Cups. I don't yeah, see what the complaints are. Yeah, yeah. No, like know. Tampa, we're, like yeah, you we know, take and we give. It's it's a give and take relationship Tampa, with the NHL. We knew we knew that we knew that Tampa was having was also having a good uh, a good yeah. start to the 2010s. You know, we we shit on them in 2015. We gave yeah. them the piece they needed. Jan Ruda, come on, we're yeah. just giving the dog a bone. Obviously, oh, yeah. um, man, where the fuck were we before? <laughs> I don't know. Something about the Blackhawks actually being decent, well, but John Hines, being Detroit, yeah. John Hines, yes. Um, but yeah, I, I do, I do. But uh, jokes aside about John Hines, that is definitely a, a bigger measuring stick than yeah. Uh, the, the Detroit team. I believe they had some players in COVID protocol yesterday. I could be wrong. Detroit, yeah, and mm-hmm. yeah. kind of on that topic, uh, Alex DeBrinket <clears throat> and Oakfist are in. Exactly. I about that. Yes, you I talk mean, about you talk about them being a bubble team. I, I think this kills any chance of any, yeah. any mm-hmm. chance of any chance. I think just completely went out the window. Well, Alex DeBrinket, it, it hurts, and so does Adam Oakfist, even though he's had some troubles, but. You know, it just seems like we like we put in players like Kurashev, we put in guys like Suter, and they've had no problem adapting to the lineup. So, you know, obviously it's not going to be Alex Dabrinkit or Adam Bokfist, but, you know, you look at the Ford situation, they have a lot of Fords they can insert. Uh, maybe like a, like a, I don't know, like a, a Mackenzie Entwistle or Reese Johnson, because I believe they called him up yeah. to like the taxi squad. So yeah, maybe so we let them get a chance. Sorry? Was Entwistle and who else? Uh, Reese Johnson. Reese Johnson. I like Reese Johnson. I don't but know. I, really I don't know. I don't know if they'll give them a chance, but maybe they put someone like Matthew Highmore back into the lineup. I'm not exactly sure, but you know, uh, the whole the whole thing is like you got to be able to put anyone in there, and it's like kind of next man up, uh, next man uh, yeah. opportunity. Like I know Vinny brings just, up a lot. Yeah, um, like the the problem is they like I've said this before. They they don't have the organizational depth anymore. So I mean, if if you're if if this is the lightning. You, yeah, take, you, you take a guy out and you put him in, right? And he'll, it's he'll like be cutting off to... his arm and then he grows two more arms. Yeah. yeah. So, like, when it comes to the Blackhawks, I mean, you take out, like, eventually it's just, like, uh, there there isn't really much more you can do, right? Like, you take out Taves and Talk, and, and now, like, and then you just, you well, it's, the more guys you take out, like, with, with yeah. that level of talent. It worse. And, yeah. and, like, I mean, yeah, I and when you, don't have, you don't have that depth. A right? hockey game blows my mind <laughs> obviously it's, it's tough it, but it's really putting to test like what the blackhawks have in this organization and, and who fits and who doesn't and i think yeah, well, it's just buying the Carlton system i think it's just they're buying in honestly yeah. i'm not going to take these wins and I'm, i know none of us are taking this and going oh this is like you know this is you know proof of them being a good team they did uh they did get uh Pretty tested by Detroit. Yeah, you you can't have Dylan Larkin, you know, making your guy look like a traffic cone. I mean, he's good, but holy shit, that was real bad for me. <laughs> that was pretty. But I mean, funny. you can't blame him, man. The guy's twenty two. He's he's oh, a yeah. Like you yeah. can't just say okay, it. plus now, but like. Like oh no, Larkin's bust, a really but, good player. Like, but it just means there's there's uh there's growing pains. You know, there's still growth to, yeah, exactly. growth to be had for sure. Yeah. Um, I I do think but, though that um. I think that the DeBrinket uh, injury, I don't – obviously, the seam is not great. I do think, though, that it kind of destroys the roster structure because you, you had a good lineup in. Suter kind of finds this number mm. one spot. And their Strom, power play is Christian, just Kubelik, yeah. Oh, for sure. 
And then you have Soderbergh, who I thought looked, I loved Soderbergh yesterday. I thought he was a horse. I thought he was, you know, hard in the puck. I thought he was great in his own end. I, I loved him on the penalty kill. He was, he was one of the few guys who just wasn't afraid to get in the player's face um, at the point and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, get in front of a shot. So I, I, I love him as a three, uh, three C. I think he's great with Janmark and Shaw. Shaw, you know, can we talk about Andrew Shaw for a minute? Yeah. Who, I'm curious, what do you think? Because I, I think he's been great this year. I think he's I been think a completely different too. player this year. And we need guys like Andrew Shaw because, uh, like we've mentioned many times, it's going to be a tough season. Like, the Blackhawks certainly are the best, so you need a personality like Andrew Shaw in there. And I thought, I think he's looked great so far. And mm-hmm. I, was, I, was so happy to, I was so happy to see him, like, just back on the ice. Yeah. You know, oh, it's, it's good to see him, like, like playing the sport and, he loves. And, and he, he, I know he mentioned, like, um, I know he mentioned changing up his game style a little bit. Yeah. Just just to be able to still be able to play his style, but just not like uh, I guess it's reckless. Not as reckless, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's been so, that was Shaw's game, and that's what you know, Quinville loved about him. That's what the fans loved about him. But as the game progresses, not only the concussions, but even just the game progresses. You know, there are there isn't much room for guys like that anymore. Yeah. Every move you make has to be precise. Every decision you make has to be matching up with guys who have speeds you'd never seen before until the last few years. So I think that not only has he protected himself from not, you know, not like now he can't have a concussion, but he's put himself in the best position possible to not, you know, be at risk. You know, he's done the, he's done everything that he can, but I also mm-hmm. think that that makes him just a better player. He's been gritty. He's been, you know, in front of the net. He's been, you know, pressuring the puck. He's played hard, you know, just the, the hard-nosed hockey that he does, but he's not, again, he's, I, I love that word, Vinny. He's not playing reckless. He's not playing yeah. reckless. I'd love to see that. Another player. is kind of like the microcosm of that. Sorry, <laughs> Pierce, go on. Okay. Another player yeah. that I think that looked great on that uh, 6-2 win was Matthias Janmark, and I think he's been getting better every game. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't see a long-term uh, plan for him in Chicago, but, man, if he can keep this playoff, we could probably get something decent for him at the trade deadline because I'm thinking that's Piece. He and Soderberg are exactly what a contender wants, in my opinion. Yep. Oh Especially yeah. Yanmark. Oh yeah. And Yanmark's every Yanmark's everything I thought he was going to be. You know, like with just the the high motor, he just works super hard. Um, good on the penalty kill. Like it's yeah. I mean, we've seen it before the trade deadline. I mean, you know, you got guys like Coleman fetching first round picks. Like it's you know teams teams get into that mode. Uh, especially contenders where they're um, they're buying, they're all in, and there you can catch teams willing to overpay for, yeah. for a role player guy like that. Especially Yanmark, who's proven that you know with Dallas, he's proven that he's a good role player. I'm, I know you're not saying he can get the uh, same return as Coleman, but I do think that he's he is kind of a lighter version of him. You know, just he's mm. so good defensively. Yeah. You know, I'm so just good saying. Oh no, I know, I know you're not saying that, um, but he could definitely. I could see the guy getting a second round pick. You know, I could, see, I could see you yeah. packaging Soderberg, getting a first and a prospect, maybe. Like it's not, it's not out of the mm-hmm. picture, man. And people may laugh at that, but Barclay fucking Goudreau got a first round pick last yeah. year. Yeah, <laughs> that's the other know. one, man. Yeah, but then we we only got we only got like a second for Leonard and then a third for Gustafson. So mm-hmm. it's. I think, but those are. I feel like those are different situations where Leonard yeah, is a goalie yeah. and Gustafson was complete shit when he got yeah. traded, completely That's undersold. 
by Bowman. Mm-hmm. Not, I know yeah, you're not bad. Uh, comparing yeah. it completely, but I do think there's some optimism to be had this year. Seeing as um, you're not, you don't have Eric Gustafson literally falling over at the blue line. Yeah, seeing piece. Flyers fans complain. Like I think the first game they're like, "Holy, we got a good offensive defenseman here." And then like mm-hmm. the next game, it's like Gustafson. Oh, wow, yeah, like, it's, it's been awesome. He, following that. he yeah. got torched. In that Boston, oh my god! Really? Oh, I need to watch oh, that then. That was not... bad, man. I was, was watching bad. like the Bruins players. I wasn't watching the Flyers players. If you know what I mean, oh, like I need to, to give that another look. Yeah, it was, was bad. Wow, I'm I'm so yeah, surprised. We we're, we're, were trying to tell him like this guy is a bum. Uh, right, Basically, buddy. Shane Goss the spear. <laughs> no, he's not that good. Guy cannot Goss defend. He's literally Goss to spare. Worse. Walmart. 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 Mom, can we have Goss to spare? And he's the Goss to spare at home. Bro, we have Goss to spare at home. Spare but hey, yeah. he, got, he got 60 points once. 60 fucking points, man. 60 that's, fucking points. Like, and we didn't that, trade him. It was like, nah, he's going to do this again next year. Yeah. That's, that, Literally. That, that's my point about a guy like that. Like, if you. Like Gustafson, you can get one point two million dollars. Like are you telling you, me that was literally the perfect. Huh. You there are not many if, better situations for a trade deadline move. There are not. Like, yeah, can technically have easily taken him for one point two mil and like Bro, just sell him on the fact he could probably play play third pairing, second pairing if needed in a shelter role, and he'll quarterback your power play. Here, give me a first and a decent prospect, and oh, you can have and you can mil. with one extra year as well. And and just the fact that like you got you get a guy that like put up sixty points like that that counteracts his terrible defensive play like I like I remember uh, watching Gustafson like we all knew how bad this guy was in his own end and the turnovers but we were we were like basically just content we were content because he was giving us sixty points like he was giving us that offense now like, then after that he's just. Terror, still terrible defensively, still terrible defense Gus, but not putting up the offense. And it's yeah. like, well, now the guy's essentially useless in that yeah. situation, right? Yeah. And so that's, yeah, I think that you get, I think that a guy like Yanmark, there's nothing to complain about with that guy. Like he's per, a contender. He is exactly what you want on your fourth line. He's... Man, I loved Andrew Desjardins on the Blackhawks. I don't know if you can hear my cap, but I got to look God, Desjardins, dude. I forgot well, about Desjardins, man. I love Desjardins, but, God. man, he, he's – I loved Andrew Desjardins. Matthias Janmark is that and so much more. And you can – he's what, – what was he making, like two mil or something? He's making nothing. Sorry, who's you know? this about? What's, what's that? and Desjardins. Yeah, oh, yeah. We treated Ben Smith for him. I, I love Jordan, man. He was exactly what that team man. needed on the fourth when he line. scored five hole and Pecorini in the first round in 2015. I, I was oh, so yeah. happy that. I was like the I was the biggest Andrew Desjardins stand that year. I was the only yeah. fan of Andrew Desjardins. Hey, and, he, and he wore he wore number 69 in San Jose, which is nice. Very like I I mean this is lame joke, you know, man. Yeah, I have, yeah, I have so much respect for that. There's a picture of him where in San Jose and he's wearing number six. The number sixty nine. It's hilarious. Nicholas Baxter wore sixty nine in the KHL and I think in the lockout season as he well. Did. He did. He just seems like the last person to do that. Yeah, I know. He just like just this classy Swedes like no, I'll go sixty nine here. Oh yeah, I thought it'd be pretty funny. Yeah. So you know, I did that. Thanks. Frank. <laughs> Um, Tz Yanmark makes two point eight, which is more than I 
It's 2.25, I think. 2.25, yeah, so I'm like a cap percentage, my bad. Yeah, 2.25. Yeah, it's more than I thought, but it's still, like, I'd say for what he brings, cap, it's fair. You know, it's like, it's it's good, but you can also retain salary on that if needed to like get more back. You can retain, retain half of it. Who cares? Carl yeah. Soderberg, no. Like, literally give those guys up. Retain, you retain everything. Retain as much as you possibly can. Get everything you can for them. Yeah, use your cap space to your advantage. And it's only for like half a year. Why don't teams do that more often? Like, just go, hey. Because teams are old, dumb white men. That's why. They're not not innovative. They're not creative. They're none of that. Well, you know what, man? Except Joe Saki. Yeah, but that's because because all all their GMs are dumb and he's just competent. That's why. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's probably probably a good point. But still, man, that's ridiculous. That's good. Rob's ever. Is GMs are as bad. Um, I would. Well, I mean, P.S. Suter is getting moved in two, three years. We all know that. That's how it goes. You know, good debut, good young player gets moved. I mean, you know, rinse and repeat. Same for Khrushchev. Um, so I'm not going to get too attached. Um, but I, I mean, I sure hope Carpenter doesn't get moved. I really like Carpenter. Um. You know, Brad, imagine if, he, if if they lose that game after he missed the wide open at all, oh, man. That would have oh, been terrible. But thankfully, oh, we scored like we won six to two because that's pretty much forgotten. Oh my god, god, man! It was a I two thought... on. I'm pretty sure it was Yanmark who gave him the pass, and he had a yeah, wide just... open net, and he just completely missed it. Cleared it right back oh, across to him. It's not, like, it's not like he missed it short side. He just put it right back across. <laughs> he, read, he put it right through the crease. Yeah. Like... Oh, let me look this up. Let me look this up. Oh my god! I saw his reaction, uh, which, oh man, uh, like in your sixth regular season game, uh, I could definitely tell uh, it was pretty bad. Carpenter miss. If anybody, if you guys can find me that gift, please, I need to see. Yeah, this. this is this is great radio right now. Um, Lucas Reichel, let's talk about that. We're talking about the future of the Blackhawks. He has seven points and ten DEL games. And I believe he had a four-game point streak, and including a three a game where he had three points. And he's still eighteen. Yeah, yeah, good for him. Like it's awesome to see him get the points there. And also, he's been playing center, so he's been taking faceoffs. And I'm last I checked, he was like fifty percent out, out the draw. So he was like, so he was like, he's like he's he's doing good at draws, and I think that's important for him to diversify his game. Obviously, he's someone who's a Good goal scorer gets to the high danger areas. Is good in transition, like carrying puck through the zone and just adding a two-way element to his game. I think that's going to be really beneficial to him. And there's a possibility that he could be on the Blackhawks next year because I believe his contract is up with Berlin by this year. So he could sign a contract, maybe play in Rockford for the first half, and then be up on the team by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he'll he'll probably he'll give. a good impression at camp next year. Like, I think he'll really push for a roster spot. You know, like, he I, don't, I don't know if he'll actually make it, but. I see a little yeah, bit of he'll, definitely, he'll definitely give a chance. Um, Jack Hughes is finally getting it done. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to see that because like last yeah, year, everyone was, so... everyone was saying Jack Hughes bust. And it was just like so annoying. And obviously he had a, like a not good year. Like he had a terrible year by all metrics, but He's just finding his confidence now. 
you know, like he's obviously a great playmaker, a great skater, but he can shoot the puck too. Like he just, like he just lasered a shot. I think it was that, on the Islanders. Like he, yeah, that that was a snipe. So yeah. obviously, it's clear that he not only just worked on his overall game in the off season, but his shot. Like it's like you can tell when a guy's shot is uh, a well improved. Yeah, like you can tell <laughs> when a guy's shot is improved, and. It's clear that he worked so hard on that in the off season. I mean, you don't even have to, you don't even have to go up and ask the guy what he did in the off season or what his training regime was. You just know. You see it on the ice, right? Yeah. Um, so, do you want to get to the uh, prospect profile, Vinny Carson Lambos? You probably know the most about him. Yeah. About any um, of us, so you can. Floor is yours. So Carson Lambos. Um, the intriguing thing about him is. He's an early 2003 draft year, or uh, early 2003 uh, birth year. Um, it's born like one of the Jesus, first. We're, we're getting into the 2003s now. This is crazy. I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. No, it was weird yeah, enough so when it was my draft year in he's, he's like He's like first few days of January or something. So he's almost in 04. Um, his first season with uh, the Winnipeg Ice last year was pretty good. I mean, you consider the fact that. Um, you know, he was a seven. I think it would have been he would have been it would have been a seventeen-year-old. Like he turned seventeen during the season. Yeah. And in a league like the WHL, where it's the most physical of the three CHL leagues, and certainly the hardest to uh, prove your worth in, because just the the overall physical nature of the league. Um, and I think he he put up like thirty-five points or something like that. And for me, that just shows. That he shows, played tough competition too, as yeah. well as like a seventeen-year-old. Yeah, right. And and that shows what that shows you above all is just maturity, right? And um, now this year, personally, I think he's the best option for the Blackhawks if they're going for a D-man. Just the the excellent defensive upside, just his his elite defensive play. Um, you know, I think he could work really well on a top pairing in the future with Boakvist. Um, I've said this before, Boakvist could really use a guy that's especially like Lambos with that elite defensive potential um, in his own end. And I think that would allow Boakvist to be the best offensive D-man he can be. Um, But anyways, yeah, Lambos is, it's intriguing because now he's playing over in Finland. Finland. Yeah. He's playing for JYP. I think he's like almost point per game. Yeah. He's yeah. He's, I think he might be just over, but um, it looks, I watched a bit of tape from him. It looks like he's figuring out, the offensive side to his game too. So you match up that elite defensive ability that we already knew about with an offensive game that's starting to um, come around and starting to develop. You mix those together. Uh, I don't see why he can't be the best defenseman in this draft. So it'll be interesting. I don't, I don't have him necessarily as high, but like at the same time, I've been watching him as much. Like someone like Luke Hears, I would fucking love because I've been watching <laughs> so much tape on him. Because we'll, we'll we'll actually talk about him with their next prospect profile. But the thing is, with this draft, there's so many good left-handed defensemen. Yeah. There's also Brian Clark, who's a right-handed defenseman. But you look at like you, we brought up Owen Power, we brought up Carson Lambos, and there's still guys like Simone Edvidson, and there's yeah. still Luke Hughes, and I've, I've I've I think Luke Hughes is my favorite. Like I just love. Yeah. He's 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 basically like Quinn Hughes, but he's like a few inches taller. He's able to shake off those four checkers. He's good in transition and just like the way to, just like to his way to maneuver the zone, like like the offensive zone. It's just it's just awesome. I didn't realize how 
like the Luke Hughes was six two. Yeah, and, and he's and the thing about him, unit. he was he's only a week a week off from being eligible for next year's draft, the twenty twenty two draft, which has Shane Wright. So I think I think that that'd be the same situation as Lambos. I think with the because if he was what if he if, if he would have been an 04, that'd mean he's next year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So similar September situation. 15, September fifteenth is the cutoff date. I'm pretty sure. Wait. How, how, would, how, would that, how would that work? So well, so September sixteenth, two thousand or fifteenth, two thousand three would be the last date because you would be eighteen before that September fifteenth date. So you have to be eighteen. Before the September fifteenth date, what whatever year that may be in. Oh, okay, never mind then. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, I didn't like like Luke Hughes. He's talked about as the best two way guy of the Hughes brothers, which I, I until I, until I saw him recently, I did not know that was his game. To be honest, like it's, oh, he's, that's pretty that's pretty crazy. And and it looks as though his. Um, it, it's a similar thing to Lambos, where his offensive upside is actually quite underrated when you really look at it. Oh yeah, so, Luke Hughes, man, he's my guy. I love. And him. let me tell you, let me tell you this: it's you look at def- a young defenseman. Oh, it is way, it is way easier to develop their offensive game than it is their defensive game. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Like, no, if you have a prospect like, can play two way, no, you yeah, that's like, beautiful. Like you, you can build. It's easier to build off their defensive ability when it's that high and then just build on their offense than it would be vice versa i think like hooky are you guy he was a man the hawks seen a guy like that uh, you know, who, who had two-way game right out of the bat i mean that yeah, was pretty great that's uh, i think i think pierce would agree and i mean yeah, we never yeah, really yeah, talked yeah. about that we never really like, talked about like, that but you know definitely man and, and then but like look at boakvist like you know you Here's a guy that's he's an offensive defenseman, and you know takes time. There's there, a there, lot yeah, of time. Yeah, and it's right, and he's his. Eric defense Carlson is, wasn't a defensive stalwart for exactly. a long time, so like exactly. So it's, it'll it takes time. Even to, it even took Duncan game. Keith a few years to like be this defensive workhorse. You know, like it takes time. Yeah, twenty years old. We gotta give him time. It's it's he's, just it's experience, right? Like he's never gonna be like a Nick Jalmerson shut down defenseman, but like if he can just be competent and then have that dynamic offensive skill, yeah. like that's a top pairing. No, game. Pierce, I need Luke Hughes to be Duncan, Duncan Keith, or else I am not a fan of his. Thank you. I mean, I mean, like Luke Hughes, man, like he's so fucking good, dude. Like no, he's probably my first choice in this draft as well. I would say, honestly, um. Kind of on the topic of defensemen, someone who you know you want you want to uh, touch on this really quick. The uh, with Bofus injury, who might come in on defense, and uh, how interesting that could be because you've got um, Lucas Carlson, Nicholas Bodin, and uh, Nicholas Bodin apparently uh, is how you pronounce it. I got to get used to that. Um, and you got Wyatt Kalinick. Um, so there are three guys who can easily come here in a pinch. You know, Wyatt Kalinick is a guy that they really raved about in camp and have before that. You know, the, clearly the brass is a huge fan of his. Lucas Carlson showed that he they was... They called him on Nick Letty 2.0, so I mean... Yeah, a... I mean, they're, yeah, and, I, and clearly, the, you know, this team was a fan of Nick Letty until they had to move him. Um, until Puck went off their uh, ass and into the net. Yeah, he until the he... The Western Conference Final, but we don't talk about that. I guess you could say he ass-fucked that team, but no, that's... <laughs> uh, anyways, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll leave on Monday. But, um... Thank God. What? I, I, I know. Trust me. Um, Lucas Carlson, though, showed he was very much NHL ready. 
Um, and I mean, you could easily put him in there without any issue whatsoever. Um, he looked even better at camp this year. Granted, it was against the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, uh, but Nicholas Bodain is someone who I believe Colton and Bowman are one of the two uh, was saying they thought he was probably the most improved player um, overall. So, you know, there's a guy who, I mean, personally, I thought looked stellar in his first game against the Sharks last year. And sometimes you get a guy who, you know, they, they don't really fit in in the AHL because the AHL is a completely different beast. It's very Much different. Much more physical. Yeah, and you bring them up to the AHL and they're just – and they, they're they good. Like, they're a completely different player. Some guys just yeah. – some guys are just like that. And, I mean, if his first game was any, you know, any sign, I mean, absolutely. This is where he's supposed to be. Grant, you know, Grant, it was against yeah. the Sharks, sure. But uh, clearly my eye test is better than your stats right. and fuck you. So – Obviously, um, he'll be the next Duncan Keith, but I do, I do wonder if you think you guys think what uh, who might draw in and uh, what you, we can see out of them. Uh, is is Kalanuk a left a righty? Left-handed. They're I mean, all they're left-handed. left-handed. They're, yeah. It's going to be a lefty no matter what. Also, oh. I do have to say I think that Bofus has struggled, so I do think any of them. No offense to Bofus, but I think any of them will be an <laughs> upgrade over him. He is, so he really needs he just like, needs yeah, NHL time. He really does. Yeah. Uh, I think that's um, nothing on him. I, I think the safe pick to draw in would be Carlson because yeah. you know he's he's pretty good defensively. He's probably first, he's probably first on their list to join because I think he did. Didn't he play a game in the the bubble last year? I'm pretty sure he did. He played a game and he got killed, game. but he played like ten games last year in the NHL. Well, that was but that was also like Vegas. So I mean, like yeah, yeah no, what are you gonna do, man? Uh, you get thrown into the playoffs player. like that. Come yeah. on, what are you gonna do against a team that physical? Like yeah, that fast. Yeah. That's skilled. I mean, yeah, it's not it's hard to judge a guy off that. Mm. Throw him right into the deep end. No, he must oh, suck. Sure. Just, <laughs> deep end, the ocean, I should say. One game not samples, am I right? Mm. You know what? For we lost, we got we lost four straight games in the playoffs. We should also trade our best, uh, our superstar forward, and then our best defensive defenseman. Oh, I think that's idea too. Oh, <laughs> not this time. <laughs> I already brought up the Oki Haru trade. I think that's oh not painful. And then we also brought up oh. Game Seven against the Kings. Yeah. Oh, we're, to, okay. To, I guess we are just trying to, to, just, trying to <sighs> just trying to sprinkle them in there. You know. Fuck me. There's a self-defeating uh, mindset the Hawks have given us. We get two wins. We have to remind ourselves that it was a Mickey Mouse win, and that there are many pains from the past. I think that we. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we. I think we all need a little group therapy, a little uh, Blackhawks group therapy. No, I think we need more than that. I, I probably. You ever um, just you ever just sit back and imagine if we had someone different controlling the team? Oh, I don't. Then? Honestly, imagine God, if, I don't. I just accept like it. Like, like imagine if, if it feels like Joe Sackick. No, just if I thought about that, it would drive control. me nuts. I can't do it. Yeah, you just can't. just that 2017 offseason. That's it. Just like I mean, can't live with your wife with what ifs. I mean, yeah, know, no, I know. I just what? man, fuck. But hey, you know what? Things aren't looking horrible. Well, it's like my my dad yeah. once said, you know, the shit sucks, man. But uh, yeah, I I, I see, I, I could see um, to to uh, something that doesn't make me want to uh, hide in the closet. Um, I I see Carlson is most likely pick. I'd say he's my first pick. Bodine second, just because you got guys who have I, uh, you know, who yeah, who who who've, who've been there, who they've been there before. Uh, oh, they 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 played the big games. Yeah, right on. But uh, Pierce, yeah, what do you think? I'm guessing you're probably in the sort of in the same boat. So I like all of them, like Carlson, Bowden, and uh, Carl and uh, Kalanuk. Like I, I'm okay with either one, like either three of them getting a chance. Well, that should be any three of them. And, go on, sorry. 
Okay, you know what? We... <laughs> us Canadians aren't as privileged as you Americans. So sorry. That I, I have a strong that. feeling that Canadian schools are better than American ones. I really do. <laughs> so were we not talking about this that's, before that's, the podcast? That's, that your that's... universities cost like two thousand, or like four thousand. <laughs> yeah, mine's not expensive. Like not two thousand. Just have a podcast about that. Just like. Oh my know. god, me whining and complaining about things that. I can't change for two hours about America. Yeah, I mean, that I could... Don't you know Joe Biden's going to drastically change the United States? Oh, yeah, no, Biden's going to save us all. Fucking... He saved the polar bears! (laughs) Get out of here! (laughs) No, when Biden sat in office, he put a pen in his hand, and he wrote down, man, we really need to help those polar bears, and then he sent it to the polar bears over in Antarctica, and they were like, oh, man. He actually sent them a stimulus check for $600. They uh, bought themselves a house, and... uh, Pay for the rent finally. It's crazy. <laughs> but anyways, um, I would like to see Bode. I would like to see get <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> he's their first round pick from 2018, and he's not Thank a God guy. They're getting their 1400 next month. They really need it, man. <laughs> but he's tough. not someone who's dynamic. He's more of a thinker. To his, he's more of a thinker, not like a, a skater and a puck mover like Adam Bofus. Uh-huh. So. It's definitely a different dynamic, but I would like to see Bowen get a chance. It'd also be nice to see Kalanuk get a chance because he is yeah. more of a, a puck mover, a skater. And but you know, I'm I'm okay with either like either one of them getting a chance. Honestly, Just like keep his ass away from the net. Please. I'm not I'm not looking at them and saying, oh, we have to play one of those fucking those defensemen. I'm okay with either one going on. To be yeah, Pierce, why are you I, saying that? Why are you cursing on this not explicit podcast that I never swear on? Okay, dude. <laughs> yeah, I I do want to see. Um... I, I did. I have been saying a while. I want to see more of Bodine in the NHL. I'm Nicole really Patch, high on that kid. I'm Nicole really Patch high on SpongeBob. Their sentence enhancers, Jimmy. What? To quote Patrick from SpongeBob, they're just sentence enhancers. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Um, so as I was saying. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, I, I, I think I'm a much higher, oh my fucking God, I, <laughs> 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 I, 